now let me invite you to open your Bible to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. To start off this morning, I have a question for you. What is God's call on your life? What's God's ultimate call on your life? If you were to sum it up into one short statement, what would that be? I would imagine for some of you, you who are married, you might consider being a godly spouse. Parents, you might be thinking about raising your kids up in the admonition of the Lord. Perhaps providing well for your family is a goal of yours, the calling. Students, maybe you might be thinking about doing your best at school, giving your top efforts. Perhaps you might think about our jobs and being the best employee we could possibly be. Now, let me ask, would, would you agree all those things are great things? Amen. Wonderful things. And if we didn't desire those things to be true in our life, I would be deeply concerned for us. But let me ask you, are any of those ultimate callings on our life? To that, I would give a resounding no. None of those things are ultimate. I would argue this. The main calling on all of our lives is to glorify God by proclaiming the glory of Christ to all the nations. That sums up the mission of our church is to glorify God by making disciples. That, that's not just a mission that I see as a mission of a church. This is the mission, ultimate mission, the ultimate calling for all of our lives. Would you agree with that? If so, how are you doing with that calling? Does your life as you are currently living reflect that understanding? Would people in your life observe you living out what you say to be true of your calling? I would venture to say this. One reason why so many people are grasping for fulfillment and are not finding it is because they aren't living out their true calling in Christ. Let me just say, stuff won't satisfy you. Money will not satisfy you. Relationships, marriage won't satisfy you. Having children won't fulfill the greatest calling on your life. We were made to glorify. We were made to reflect God's glory back to him. And too often we are like the moon taking credit for the light that is shining off of us when really it's just the light from the sun reflecting. Brothers and sisters of Christ, we were created to reflect glory back to the one to whom it belongs. This morning we begin a four-part series in the book of Jonah. I've titled it The Wayward Prophet and the Merciful God. What we're going to see is a messed up dude. This is one of the most peculiar books in the Bible, if you ask me. You have this prophet who is given the call to proclaim the good news, and yet he fails miserably. And yet you have this merciful, relentless God coming after Jonah, reminding him of their calling. How many of you have read through Jonah before? Many of you? I'm not talking about the uh, Jonah movie from Veggie Tales. That doesn't count. 
The reason why I want us to look at this book for these next several weeks is because one of our core values is courageous evangelism. And we as an elder team have a deep desire this year to grow in that area. We, we would be the first to say we're not thriving here as a church, at least from the emphasis of this. And, and here, here's what I mean. This is, this, is why, this is why in our prayer request we ask you to share gospel conversations because we want to keep it ever in front of you. Our greatest calling is to proclaim the gospel. And to create a culture of evangelism does not mean that we have a bunch of activities where we say, come over, we got some inflatables, we got some food. Now, we will have a fall fest, we're going to have more information for you. There's nothing wrong with those things, but if that's our strategy for evangelism, we are going to fail. Rather, my desire, my prayer for the series is that we would understand that our calling, each of us individually, is to take the gospel to a dying world. That we all would live on mission. So let's jump into the text this morning. I'm actually going to read all the way through chapter 1. It's 17 verses, so bear with me. But I think getting the full picture will help us this morning. And So follow along with me as I read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come upon, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God! Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on what account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon, of, upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, 
and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the deeply encouraging start to my soul already. Remembering the sacrifice of Christ that has made me right with you. Thank you for your incredible mercy. And Father, as we jump into Jonah, I thank you for the mercy that you show us here to a wayward prophet. Lord, if we're honest, we're, we're like him a lot. We're like Jonah. We forget our calling. We get caught up in other things. We get focused on houses and cars and jobs and children, and, and we lose sight of you sometimes. And yet you are merciful to draw us back to you. So God, this morning, would you do such a work? Lord, that you would remind us and empower us in such a way that we would live on mission. Father, I confess myself the conviction this morning of thinking about how often I get distracted. Oh Lord, would you do a mighty work in our hearts this morning? God, that we, that you would help us develop a culture of evangelism that we would live on mission every day of our lives. That we would not do it out of a burden, out of a grumbly heart, but that we would do it because we are so amazed at your grace that we want others to taste and see that you are good. Father, that's a work that can only be done by your grace. And so, Father, we ask that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, uh, here's the title of this message this morning. You can't run from God's call on you. You can't run from God's call on you. We've got a lot to cover this morning, so I want to jump in here right away. Here's the first point I want us to see. God's call for you is to get the gospel out. God's call for you is to get the gospel out. Look again at verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let's just do a quick geography, just to give you a picture of, of where Jonah was, what he was, where he was called to go, and then where he actually ended up going. So you'll see there, he's over there on the right where that red arrow is. Joppa, is, it says he comes down. So I'm not sure if he's from Jerusalem. So when you see scripture, directional up and down is not north-south like we would think. Up and down was more like coming down from a mountain. So chances are he's, he's in Jerusalem. He's, he's somewhere up high altitude-wise. And he's coming to Joppa. Notice where Nineveh is. Nineveh's to the right of that arrow. It's at the point. And we'll see later He's actually on his way to Tarshish, <coughs> which is on the complete other side, a complete opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. So, so that's the picture. He's calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, do you ever wonder how exactly the word of the Lord came to him? Like, like what was that like? Like, did a scroll like blow up to his door? Did he hear a thunderous voice from God from heaven? Was it an impression on his heart? We don't fully know the answers, but we get the picture as we read through this that, that, that Jonah and God were having a conversation. 
And so Jonah gets this clear message, go, call out the sins of those in Nineveh. Now, I want to, first of all, acknowledge something. Jonah did have a unique calling. He was a prophet called to take the the message of God, the message of the need to repent to a specific people. We actually, uh, the first time we see Jonah in the Bible is in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It says this, he restored the border of Israel. This is the king, Jeroboam. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Geth Hefer. So Jonah, he, he's not a fictitious. Some people like to look at the story of Jonah and look at it as fiction, but Jesus even speaks of Jonah as a real person, comparing himself to Jonah when Jonah was in the belly of the fish for how many days? How long was Jesus in the belly of the earth? Three days. So we should not look at Jonah and think this is a fictitious story. This is legit. The things that we read in here, we should take as truth. And so we see also right away that Jonah dealt with a, a, a not a great king. If you know anything about Jeroboam, the king during the time, he was not a good king. And yet he's bringing a word. He brought a word saying that the borders of Israel would be restored. So the way God spoke to him, the way God spoke to Jonah was unique and not the way that he dealt with all Israelites and not the way that he deals with us. He received a unique calling to go to a specific people group. However, that does not take away the fact that we are all called to a similar thing. Before Jesus left the earth to go sit on the throne of God, he gave us what? What do we call it? Matthew 28. The Great Commission. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 28. This is where we get the mission of our church. This is where we get our ultimate calling for all believers. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Let me just read it for you. It says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We all have a calling from God to take the message of Christ to the nations. This is not a unique calling to those who have a gift of evangelism. Nobody here gets a get out of evangelism free card to play. There are people who do have a unique gift to be able to share the gospel with the lost. I, I'm amazed that some people were able to go in the streets and, and knock on doors and, and the way they're able to communicate and the way people respond to that. God has, God has surely, I believe, given some people the gift of evangelism but that doesn't mean if you don't have that gift that you can pass on this listen if all you think about when it comes to evangelism is going and knocking on people's door randomly walking up to strangers on the streets and that's your understanding of evangelism you don't have a full picture that's only part of it 
In fact, I, I believe far more effective evangelism happens when we live it out on a daily basis and we go to our neighbors. We go to our fellow co-workers, and they've seen the life lived out, not perfectly, but genuinely and authentically reflecting Christ. That is a far more effective way of evangelism. God uses those other methods, but we are all called to live our lives for the glory of Christ, proclaiming him when we have the opportunity. Build relationships with those around you. Certainly, in my life, there are areas for improvement here. And in my, it's become harder for me to get around unbelievers because <laughs> I work in the church. And so I have to work harder. But, but as I recall, just about every secular job I've ever had, by God's grace, I've shared the gospel with at least one person. And I'm not afraid personally to let God and church be a part of my regular vernacular. Like, the, God is everything to me. So I'm not going to look for ways. I don't want to offend people with saying God or church. And In fact, often, uh, we visibly see people step away from us as soon as they find out my occupation. I had a neighbor that literally, once they said, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, started backing away. <laughs> but I'm not going to let that affect me because if God is everything to us, then he is going to be on my lips and so encouragement for you remember you have a calling everybody has the calling as believers to share the gospel and God's God's call for you is to get the gospel out look at verse 3 but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Here's the next thing. The choice is yours on what you do with your calling. The choice is yours on what you do with your calling. As you look at God's word, I believe it is very clear that we are called to take the good news to those around us. This is true, as we've said already, for all believers. But each of us then are left with a choice. What will I do with this calling? For Jonah, he didn't like it. The last thing he wanted to do was go to Nineveh. Let me just back up here and show you again where it's at. You got Nineveh on the right where the arrow starts, Joppa, that's the port that he's in. He's like, nope, I'm out. And he's sailing. He wants to go all the way over to Tarshish. He is fleeing from God, thinking that he can do so. It, but, the, but here's the reality. When we rebel against God, it turns us into idiots. <laughs> like we become stupid. We think somehow we can run from God's presence as if God's not going to track us down. Jonah can't flee God. He can't run from him, and so he somehow thinks, man, I don't like this calling, and so I'm going to flee from God as if God only was where he was at. Does that kind of remind you of somebody else who got caught in sin, and they went to hide? Adam and Eve in the garden, thinking somehow they could hide from God? Jonah left town. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why? What was it 
behind, what was the reasoning behind heading the complete opposite direction? What was it about Nineveh that had him running away? So let's just do a little history on Nineveh. So Nineveh was the capital of the kingdom of Assyria. Uh, we first hear about Nineveh in Genesis 10, 11, and it was founded by Nimrod. Uh, if you're ladies looking for a good boy's name. <laughs> Based on, the fact, uh, on that fact, we know that Jeroboam, as I mentioned, was the king from 793 to 753 B.C., Remember, Jonah brought the word that the borders of Israel would be restored. Uh, we know that it's, it's around this time frame of, of 700s B.C., somewhere around there. The Assyrians, though, they were a cruel and warlike people who were longtime enemies of Israel. In fact, if you were to look at their artwork, it would emphasize war. It would have Scenes of execution, impalement, filleting the skin of prisoners and beheadings. They were extremely cruel. And the punishment that they would put people through would make your blood curdle. Now when you consider all this, like there's an understanding where, where you, you, you would understand why Jonah might be hesitant. Perhaps fear led him to run from the presence of God run the opposite direction. Like certainly knowing what the Assyrians were like, were like would, would make it frightening to get the task. Can, can you imagine living in 1940s and God calls you to go to Germany to preach the gospel there? This is, this is in a sense, the picture here. How many of you would be willing to sign up for that job? But here, here's the thing, believer. As Christians, we know that wherever God calls us, he promises to go with us. Scripture says he will never leave you or forsake you. God doesn't chastise us for being afraid, but there will be consequences for not going where he tells us to go. And we read these frightening words in, in Luke 9, 26. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't let your fear lead you from his plan on your life. It's not an excuse to not share because we are afraid of what people may think or do to us. Remember, God's presence is always with you. He says he will never leave you or forsake you. I think sometimes we are underwhelmed by that reality. But let that sink in. The creator, the one who is sovereign over all things, knows you intimately and will never leave you. The scripture says he is a very present help in time of need. We have no reason to fear. And even if we do fear, and we will because we're sinful, we're on, the, we're on the, this side of heaven, he still leads us. He's still there with us. Don't let fear deter you from your calling. Perhaps Jonah was afraid, and that played a factor in his running. But there is far more damning evidence for Jonah later in the book. Fear may have been a factor, but that does not tell the whole story. Turn with me to Jonah 3 and look at verse 6 with me for a moment. 
The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. So Jonah has come. He's called for the the Ninevites, the Assyrians, to repent. And here the king is sitting in ashes. He's received the word. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Is that not amazing? Would you not think Jonah would be like, oh, God, you're amazing. You are powerful. You can do anything. You can change the vilest of sinners and draw him to yourself. Wouldn't you think Jonah would respond that way? This is why this book is so intriguing and so disrupting of my soul. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Does that not take your breath away? Why did Jonah flee? He flee because he was a racist. He hated the Assyrians so badly that he did not want God to show them mercy. Did you see it there? He's not afraid. The only thing he's afraid of is that they would actually repent and God would show mercy. here's Here's what Jonah was saying. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve mercy. I hate them. This is what Jonah is saying. The Assyrians were absolute barbarians. They were the worst of the worst. Nothing about Assyria would be appealing for an Israelite to go there. And yet, God is merciful. And there is no one so bad that God can't save. I wonder how many of us stop praying for lost people because we don't want them to receive God's mercy. Or on the maybe more positive side, we're, we're just believe that there's no hope for them. And so we'd rather just criticize them. Oh, let's make fun of the president because he forgets stuff. And, and let's criticize them and let's, let's just tear apart those who are living lost right in front of our eyes instead of being broken. Believing that God could still show them mercy as he's shown us mercy. Listen, the tears for me this morning don't come from a heart that gets it right. But how, how often I just even fail that, God would, that I would pray that God would open the hearts of those who are lost. So let me ask you this morning, is there anybody in your life, any, anybody in the world, where this morning or this week or the last year you've spent time hoping that God would bring judgment versus asking for God to, to give mercy? 
Listen, if we want to create a, a culture of evangelism in our life, then we need to be broken for every person we come in contact with. We need to be praying, God, open their hearts. God, I'm frustrated with them right now. God, I hate what they're saying. I hate how they're turning our country upside down. I hate how they're pulling us away from you. I hate how they're making these rules. But God, you have extended mercy to me. God, by your grace, would you extend mercy to them? Oh, brothers and sisters, how I failed at that. So much easier for me to criticize and make jokes and have fun with politicians instead of being broken, that perhaps they're lost and might be heading to an eternity separated from God, facing his wrath forever. <laughs> Will we allow fear to keep us from spreading the gospel? Will we be judged on whether or not someone is worthy of hearing the message? The choice is yours on what you do with your calling. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled the great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to them, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Your rejection of God's call can lead to the suffering of others. Your rejection of call can lead to the suffering of others. So we see here Jonah gets in a boat. He takes off thinking he can outrun God, but that's not the case as we all know. Notice where he goes. He goes down deep to sleep. All the storm is going crazy outside, like the story of Jesus in the Gospels. And the mariners were deeply afraid. This is what this tells me. These were experienced fishermen. Storms were, were not something new to them, but there was something different about this, and they were afraid to the point that they came to him, they, they woke him up and they say, call out to your God that maybe we would receive mercy. Listen, be, because of Jonah's rebellion towards God, everyone in the boat is suffering. Notice, they threw out all the cargo. They hurled, out, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. Everything that they had. This is their livelihood. This is what the, the, the mariners made their money off. This is how they got paid, by, by delivering cargo. And here, they had to throw it all out because of Jonah's sin. It cost them deeply. Who knows how much they lost because of his rebellion? Here's what we so often want to push out of our minds. Our sins don't just affect us. When we rebel against God and his calling on us, others suffer because of it. This is why it's so critical that we walk day by day in the spirit that we may not carry out the desires of our flesh. Brothers and sisters, we have the hope of Christ. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We are walking miracles because God opened our eyes to the gospel. We didn't open our own eyes to it. So we don't label anyone unsavable. Listen, not sharing Christ 
by choice is like knowing a friend of ours who has a serious health problem and refusing to tell them about it. Jonah ran from God and the people suffered. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects those around you. Now we know, based on scripture, everyone will give an account. But do you remember when it says, oh, to those who cause my little ones to stumble? It'd be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. We have a responsibility as believers in Christ to live out our calling. God is merciful and gracious. He's going to get his work done, whether we step up or not, but there will be consequences for us. And we're going to make other people suffer in the process if we allow sin to reign, if we live in rebellion to him. Your rejection of God, God's call can lead to the suffering of others. Here's the next point. God will relentlessly pursue after you. God will relentlessly pursue after you. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and for what people, of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that, they, that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. God will relentlessly, relentlessly pursue after you. So the, the sailors, again, as I mentioned earlier, they know something is different with this storm. And now they see somebody has caused this. It's because of somebody's sin. Somebody's, somebody's doing something they shouldn't. They've, they've angered the gods. And we are facing punishment. We need to find out who is responsible for this. And so they cast these lots. And by God's grace, by his divine design, by his divine intervention, the lot fell on Jonah. And so they began to pepper him with questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? He gives them their response, and the sailors are mortified. What have you done? See, now it's obvious the reason for the storm. Jonah was running from God, and God was pursuing Jonah. And really, here's what we see here. This is God's mercy. This is God's mercy. He, he, he could have just struck Jonah down. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he, yet he rebelled, obviously. Why not just give him a heart attack and be done with him and raise up another prophet? Yet God pursues Jonah. Isn't that the kindness of God? As believers in Christ, we get ourselves in a mess. We allow sin to reign. We, we run away from him. We rebel. Life gets difficult for us, and things begin to fall apart. Perhaps if you find yourself in that position, it's because God's coming after you. And listen, if he is allowing unsettledness in your soul because of your sin, you should consider it amazing grace and mercy for you. We read this in Romans 4, 5. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, 
not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Oh, we see the kindness of God here. Jonah, you can't run from me. I'm coming after you because I love you and I got, a, I got a calling for you. You find yourself in a season of struggle. Could it be it's because you are in rebellion against God and what he's called you? Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. Repent. Thank the Lord for not allowing you to be at peace with your sin. Oh, how, how thankful I am when, uh, when I come through a season of struggle and I realize it's because of my own sinfulness, my own rebellion, and I see that he was allowing recklessness in my life so that I would see I'm sinning against him. That's his mercy. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. God cares so much for us that he allows seasons of suffering when we are allowing sin and rebellion to reign in our hearts. God relentlessly pursues after us. Here's the next thing. Here's the last thing. God is merciful to us in our repentance. God is merciful to us in our repentance. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? That the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Have you seen that thing? The, the, the storm's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And here in verse 13, we see that sometimes unbelievers act more righteous than believers. Because, I mean, think about it. Jonah has just confessed, hey guys, I'm the problem. I'm the reason why you guys had to throw all your cargo out. I'm the reason why you've lost who knows how much money. Throw me overboard. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm like, heck yeah, let's get him up right now. Let's get him out of here. And yet, what, what do they do? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew, here we see again, more and more tempestuous against them. They're trying to spare Jonah's life. And they're led to, the last thing they do is cry out to the Lord, Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. We know that he's rebelled against you. We don't really want to do this, but we see no other way. And lay not on us, lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as you please. And they picked him up and threw him in. And immediately the sea was calm. And what do the sailors do? They worship. Isn't that convicting when you see people who curse like sailors? Who aren't living for the Lord and yet they act more righteous than us. For all intents and purposes, I don't know what happened after this, but they feared the Lord exceedingly. They offer a sacrifice and made vows to him. God was merciful to the sailors, but he was also greatly merciful to Jonah. Verse, thir verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Listen, I don't know about you. I, I don't know if I would always think of getting swallowed up by a fish as, <laughs> as being merciful. Now, here's the thing. We don't know if it was a whale or not. Some people want to get really particular on that. All we know is it's a great fish. 
and it's merciful because God spared Jonah's life in the belly of the fishes. We'll see Jonah goes into a time of prayer to the Lord. God is merciful to us in our repentance. Listen this morning, my, my goal, my desire is not to heap condemnation on you if you're not living out your calling. My prayer is that God would convict us where we are being lazy in our calling. That God would convict us when we get so distracted by stuff that we forget our mission. So going back to the question, what is your greatest calling? How are you doing in fulfilling the calling that God has given to you? Listen, if you, if you have very little to say, let me just remind you there's mercy for you this morning. Let me encourage you to spend some time in repentance. Spend some time pursuing the Lord, asking him for mercy, and then receiving his mercy because his word says if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive and purify us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, we have a calling to take the gospel into the world. We are called to live sent day by day. Don't fear. Don't let fear or hatred keep you from that calling. Don't put a label on somebody as unsavable. Because in all reality, we're all unsavable apart from the amazing grace of Christ. Remember, God is relentlessly pursuing after you and let his loving kindness lead you to repentance and then receive his mercy in that. Here's some action steps that you can put into week, practice this week. I encourage you to memorize 1 Peter 3.15. Let me just read that for you real quick. God's word says, I've hidden your word in my heart that what? Might not sin against you. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord and holy, always being prepared to make a decision to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, how should we do it? with gentleness and respect. And then I encourage you, read Jonah this week. I encourage you, next four weeks, that's, what's, that's what I'm going to put up there probably. Read Jonah. Just let it saturate your heart. Let the Lord convict you where you need convicting. And then, here, number three, who can you be praying for this week? Who can you pray for that needs salvation? And who can you be praying for every single day until the Lord calls you home or the Lord calls them into the light? Don't give up. Don't put a label on somebody saying they're beyond hope. If God can save the Assyrians, he can save anyone. And so guard your heart against joining in the world of making fun of people because of how crazy their ideologies are. Instead, ask for God to break you. Ask for God to lead you to pray for their salvation. And along with that, just live out your calling. Remember, as you go home today, you have one calling. Your calling is not to be the best employee. That's part of it. That's not ultimate. Your calling is to let your light shine. Proclaim the gospel with the way you live your life and proclaim it with your words. And ask God for open doors. Listen, and if you're, you're afraid, it's okay. I get afraid too. Believe me, every time I tell somebody a pastor, I know I, I brace myself for... But we've just, we've just faced it. We've just seen people pull away from us as soon as they find that out. My conviction this week is, Ben, are you praying? Are you praying that God would open a door 
lives out the cause of Christ. Father, I just confess to you this morning that my temptation is to condemnation. And I don't always have a heart of evangelists. I don't always have your heart towards people. And yet I see your mercy. Your mercy towards Jonah. If there's mercy for Jonah, there's mercy for us. And so, Lord, if there's anybody else here that feels the same way as I, would you, would you lead us to repentance and a changed life, God, that you would change the direction and the course of our everyday life? That we remember our ultimate calling is to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news, to live it out genuinely, Lord. And so, pray, Lord, just do your work in our hearts. God, that you would allow us here at Gospel Community Church to create a culture of evangelism so that when we exit the doors, we are on mission. God, I pray. I pray for a great report next week. I pray that you would open up doors for us to have gospel conversations. I pray that you would change our hearts. Lord, if there be any kind of racism in our hearts, would you expose that? If there be any kind of sense of labeling somebody as beyond hope, that you would convict us that you would remind us that we were hopeless apart from Christ? God, would you keep us from allowing fear to lead us to not share your good news? Would you just open incredible doors this week so that we could give, hear a good report next week, Lord? And Father, I thank you, Lord. The pressure is not on us to save anyone. We, do, we are just called to be faithful with the message, so, so make us faithful. Take the weight of that off. People are going to hear the good news, and they will reject but God, we're just called to be faithful. Keep us faithful. Keep us encouraged. I thank you, though, Lord, that even though we are wayward believers, you are a merciful God. I thank you that your mercies are new this morning. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, let me remind you, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.